for who he is, and yet at the same time, his distress over his enemies and calling God to help him. So as we come to this section tonight, we're going to see the psalmist make one last request. And this request is a little different than all of the requests he's made previously. This section, in essence, as he's closing out his prayer, is really what he wants to get across. Really, if God hears anything in this prayer, if he responds to any part of this, this is what the psalmist wants him to respond to. So let's take a look at this section tonight. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter your praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and I shall praise you. And let your judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. As the psalmist comes before God this last time with his request, we see a little bit more urgency than any requests we've seen previously. Before, his requests have been a little more casual. They've been, God, I have a problem, and I'd like you to consider my problem and to help me, deliver me in the way that you see fit. But now, coming to verse 169, we see some urgency. The psalmist says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. This is an emotionally charged word. The psalmist is in distress. And he's crying to God, God, hear me. Let my cry come before you. And what is that cry? The next part of the verse, Give me understanding according to your word. The one thing that the psalmist desires more than anything else that he's requested in this entire psalm is not deliverance from enemies, is not less persecution, is not an easier life, it's understanding. But not understanding according to the world. Not understanding according to these men that are persecuting him. It's understanding according to God's word. And if you continue through this section, especially once we get to the end, you realize why the psalmist prioritizes this request specifically. And that's because even if God chooses to deliver him from all his persecution, even if the rest of his life is just happy and sunshine and roses, he still needs understanding of God's word. Regardless of what God does for him in the future, he knows that right now he needs understanding. He needs to know how to follow God's law, how to love God and obey him in a way that's pleasing to him.
And then he brings out a lesser request. The request that's been brought forward several times throughout this psalm. It says, let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. This time, it's just a request. It's not as urgent. We see that in the word that he decides to use. Supplication. That's really what the word means. It's just a request. Let my request come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Again, this is a common theme that we have seen all throughout this psalm. The deliverance that he requests is according to God's word. It's not, it has nothing to do with outside circumstances, nothing to do with those men that are persecuting him. He doesn't say, change them, but rather deliver me according to your word, not according to some made-up reasons I have for why I'm worthy to be delivered but because this request is based on your word, based on your revelation of who you are, based on promises that you have made in your word. He continues to describe a little bit of what his life is like. He says, My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. When we see that word, shall there, oftentimes we think of the future. I think he's saying, if God does something, then I'll praise him. But that's not the idea that the psalmist is trying to get across here. He's saying, I shall, as in I will, I will in the future praise you, but also in the moment he is already praising. And we've seen that several times throughout the psalm. In fact, three times, the psalmist has mentioned to God that he praises him because of his word. Not because of circumstances, not because of nice things that happen, not because of nice things that he has, but because of God's word. And specifically, these praises that are coming from him are being uttered. I think... At least for me, when I read that word uttered, it's kind of just mumbling is what comes to my mind. But that's actually not the idea that the psalmist had here. When he uses the word uttered, it's like overflowing. Like you have a cup, and you fill it with water, but you don't stop when it gets to the top, and it overflows. That's what this idea that the psalmist has here is. He is being filled with praise And as he's filled with that praise, he can't contain himself. He has to praise God because you teach me your statutes. The psalmist realized that the word of God that he had was not just words. It was God's revelation to man. God was teaching him through the Bible. And as he realized that, as he realized that the almighty, all-powerful, eternal God cared enough to reveal himself to the psalmist, to show the psalmist how he could live a life that honored him, that thought 
filled the psalmist with praise. But he keeps going. He's not just going to praise God, something that could be done in private, something he could do in prayer, in the privacy of his own home. But he continues and says, My tongue shall speak of your word. This is more of a public idea. He's proclaiming. That's really what this word means. He's telling about it, telling about God's word. And the implication here is that he's telling about it to other people. He's proclaiming to other people God's word because all of God's commandments are righteous. Every single one. And because they are righteous, because they show how to live a life that pleases God, what God wants, he can't hold that information back from other people. As he goes about his day, he is telling people, did you know this is what God wants? Do you know God, he speaks to us through his word, and this is what he said. This is what God wants from you. So the psalmist, in reaction to God's word, really he can't contain himself. The truth that he sees in the word compels him to praise God and to proclaim it to others. And now he returns to his request. In verse 173, he says, Let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. Again, the psalmist here bases his request for help, his request for deliverance on God's word. It's not because he's such a good person. It's not because he gives money to the poor. It's not because he goes and he sings songs in the temple once a week. That's not why he wants deliverance. He asks for deliverance based on the fact that he loves God's word. That he has chosen God's precepts. He could have followed anything he wanted to. We see examples, even in the psalm, of men who had chosen to follow other things. They chose to follow their own wisdom, their own desires. They put those ahead of God. But the psalmist chose God first and foremost. And because of that, he prayed for God's help. In the next verse, we see that he longs for your salvation, O Lord. The psalmist's desire here is not passing. This is not a nice thought. It's not, well, it was like a dream I had once, but now I've put that aside. I don't expect that to come. No, this is something he longs for. It's an intense desire, almost an internal groaning. He longs for your salvation. And yet, he says, your law is my delight. The psalmist had two choices as he was longing for the Lord's salvation. On the one hand, he could say, I've asked for it and it hasn't come. God must not care. He's not going to give it to me. I don't know why, but he's not. Or 
On the other hand, he could continue to love God, continue to obey him, continue to serve him, even in the midst of his troubles. And that's what the psalmist chose to do here. He says, your law is my delight. In the midst of all his struggles, he still delighted in God's word. Verse 175, he says, Let my soul live, and I shall praise you. This praise is coming from a different source than the praise he just mentioned up in verse 171. This time, he's not praising God specifically because of his word, specifically because of what God has done through scripture. Rather, this time, He says, if you deliver me, I will offer you thanks. I will praise you out of a heart of thankfulness. Really, he's telling God that he's not going to put it aside. Once he's delivered, he's not going to say, oh, well, that was nice. Now I can go do my own thing. I don't have to rely on God anymore because he already gave me what I wanted. Now I'm free to do whatever I want. The psalmist was telling God, I I desire this, and if you give it to me, I won't accept it lightly. I will take it, and it will impact me. I'm not just going to cast it aside, forget about it a week later, a month later. This is something that is important to me. You, Lord, are important to me. And yet again, He refers back to God's word. Finishes out the verse and says, And let your judgments help me. That's the type of salvation that the psalmist is looking for. He's not looking for a miracle. He's not looking for God to just miraculously end his suffering, whatever form it may take. Rather, he's calling God to act upon his word. These people that are oppressing him have gone against God. And because of God's righteousness, because of his judgments, God must act. So the psalmist calls God to act. He doesn't know when God is going to act, when God is going to execute his wrath on these enemies of God's, who in turn are enemies of his, But he's calling God to do it nevertheless, because that is what God's name deserves. It deserves to be justified, because God is just. He cannot let sin go unpunished. And as a result of God seeking the glory of his own name, seeking justice for his own name, the psalmist benefits from that. Because in turn, his own enemies will be destroyed. And then we come to the very last verse of this entire psalm. The longest psalm in the Bible, 176. And it doesn't have the happy, cheerful ending you might expect, really, when you first read it. It doesn't, the psalmist doesn't put forward his last great argument Say, God, you know, I've put all this other stuff before you as reasons why, you know, you should save me. But this, 
This is my one thing where if I say this, he's just going to have to do it. That's not what the psalmist does. In fact, on the surface, it looks like he does the exact opposite. He gives almost an argument against his salvation when he says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. At the end of all this, all this begging, pleading for God to work through his word, the psalmist came to the end of himself and he realized that in all of this, it's not about him. His salvation wasn't about his own benefit, really. Because even though he loved God's law, even though he delighted in God's law, he still went astray. There were still times where even though he knew what God's law wanted, he deliberately did something else. And he confesses that here. He says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. And he also knows that there's nothing he can do to fix that. Because he doesn't say, I'll clean up, I'll do better. If you save me, I'll never break another commandment. That's not what he says. He says, seek your servant. He calls God to act. He knew that there was nothing he could do of himself that would make him a better follower of God. The only thing he could do was pray and ask God to help him, to seek him, to look for him, to find him, and to bring him back as a shepherd would a sheep. And here he, he gives the difference between him and these other men he's told about who also break God's commandments. He describes himself as your servant, God's servant. See, these other men, as they disobey God's law, they don't care. They don't bat an eye at it. They do it, and they do it again, and they enjoy it. But the psalmist was God's servant. Even though he broke God's law, his desire, his heart, was to follow God, to serve him. For I do not forget your commandments. Even though he failed, even though he went astray, he still remembered. And that's why he had to ask to be sought. Even in verse 100 and, or 169, when he says, Give me understanding according to your word, why does he want that understanding? This is why. Because the more understanding he has, the more he knows how to serve God. As he gains understanding, he gains the ability to say no to those temptations, those desires to turn against God and to do his own thing. And so in this whole section, really, you see the psalmist admitting that he's not perfect. He falls short. But God is his God. And God will bring him back to himself.
So this evening, as we briefly looked at this, what are your afflictions? And in the midst of those afflictions, what is your desire? Because that's really what it all comes down to. In your affliction, yes, we desire relief. Yes, we desire something better. But why do you desire that? Is it just for comfort's sake? And while that can be a part of it, it shouldn't stop there. Ultimately, our goal in being delivered from whatever distress we find ourselves in, whether it be from outside, from evil men, whether it be within our own hearts, the ultimate reason that we should want to be freed is so that we can better serve God, so that we can praise Him, that we can proclaim to the world, to those around us, this is who God is. This is the God that I follow. The nations around follow idols, worthless gods that can't do anything. But I follow the God who acts according to his character, who does not let evil prevail. So I would encourage you this week to cling to that truth, this month, this year, even as we continue through the rest of the book of Psalms. Let that truth impact you. God cares about you. We see that in the fact that he gave us his word. He actually revealed himself to us. But he also cares about his own name. And one day, could be in a thousand years from now, could be in a thousand and twenty years from now, God will bring about righteousness and he will judge the world. So as we transition to a time of prayer, I have a couple requests to get us started off with. First of all, Pastor Robinson is at the conference over at Faith, so pray that that would have been a good time for him. I don't remember when it gets over. Tonight might have been the last night, but pray that that would have been a good experience for him. And then he was able to visit Dan Mills today. And Dan had a couple different prayer requests. First of all, probably the most encouraging in my opinion, is that he and Betty would have opportunities to share the gospel with his nurse and with some of the technicians in the hospital. I think it's really encouraging to see, even in the midst of his own troubles, the two of them still caring about the unsaved around them. And also... Uh, surgery seemed to have gone well, but his white blood cell count is still high. He still has a fever. And if they can get his white blood cell count lowered, get the fever to go down, he'll be able to go home. So pray that that would happen, and he'd be able to go home within the next couple of days. Do you have any other requests? Ron. Is it Lutheran or Methodist? 
Lutheran? Okay. Couldn't remember. It, was, it wasn't a Baptist hospital, I know that much. 